Today's reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, then from verse 13 onwards. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. great pleasure to welcome Mark here this morning and thank you so much for coming. Mark not only had to preach at the early service, I believe you had to lead it as well. So uh, really singing for his supper today. Let's pray for Mark as um, he comes to preach us. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for Mark and I want to thank you for the ministry you've given him in Halscott. I want to thank you, Lord, that you love him and you've poured your anointing on him. Lord, may, as he preaches to us this morning, may your spirit rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. Lord, may you thrill us all with deeper insights into your word, as well as with whatever challenges you're going to learn to lay before us. And please, Lord, give us grace to respond to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Uh, it, is, it is lovely to be here this morning and lovely to be, um, someone said, preaching the same sermon twice the same morning. I sort of doubt you'll get the same sermon. I'm not very good at repeating. I tend to sort of, these things tend to happen as they go along. Um, we're on this business of actually living in the spirit. And um, I really struck that we've got this contrast between the two different ways of living. And um, as, a, as an introduction, when I was ordained, I was ordained in, in uh, Bath and Wells Diocese. 
And the bishop who ordained me was Bishop Jim Thompson. And those of you with a long memory will remember that he was one of those great ones on Thought for the Day. He was a regular on Thought for the Day. And he once said to me, he says, I think I've got the curse on the Thought for the Day. He says, any time there's a major disaster, it happens the day before I have to do the Thought for the Day. So he ended up having to do the Thought for the Day after 9-11. And, uh, and every time there was a crisis, he suddenly seemed to be in the schedule. He was like the put in on... Um, so I've got dropped in it straight after the referendum. So we'll see how we get on with that. Um, whether you, whatever you think of that as we're going. And it's interesting that the first verse that we look at, it says... It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again with a yoke of slavery. And I'm pretty certain if I was in UKIP, I could preach a pretty good sermon on that. But we're not going to do that one this morning. So we're going to do it for that. Because we want to talk about what freedom is about. And the two ways we want to look at freedom is the first one is freedom from, which is the things that we are set free from. And the second lot is freedom for. The big danger when we look at freedom is we want, so often we see people, I want to be free. And that means basically, I do not want to be responsible for what my actions do to anyone else. I want to be able to do what I like. And it's that moment when your teenager leaves home and they move into their own flat for the first time and they realise that no one tells them to go to bed. And I do remember those moments when you know, my darling young son would Sometimes you'd be kicking him off the computer at four o'clock in the morning saying, you have got work at seven. Just do remember that. And suddenly these freedoms that we can can become a dangerous thing. When all the boundaries are taken off, we don't know. But the scripture talks about being set up free from slavery to our sinful nature and freedom for being part of God's kingdom. So it starts with how do we use the freedom that we have? Um, I'm going to try and check with my notes so I don't get in the wrong place. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. There's a great old song that we used to do um, uh, back many years ago called Let There Be Praises, Glory, Wisdom and Strength. And it had that, since we are justified by faith, not by the good that we would do. And then one of the verses went in, shall we continue then in sin? And the last line was, well, we could, but we're not going to. <laughs> because there is this element that when we... Yeah, there is a danger that when we know God's forgiveness is so great and so free, we can say, well, heck, we can do what we like, and we just come back and, and ask for forgiveness. What's the point? I can have fun. We can do all these exciting things, and we go and... I, I, but it's really interesting that very often those freedoms are allowing the flesh to run, and those freedoms, though they seem incredibly attractive, can be incredibly corrosive, mainly because the freedom of the flesh... We run with fear, and there is the fear of being told what to do. Um, you know, that fear of someone else being in control. Perhaps they don't want the best for me. It's interesting that very often the fear of the flesh is that God doesn't want the best for me. Well, when I worked down in, in Sussex many years ago, we used to be next door to one of the youth with a mission bases, and where people were going for their discipleship training school, and they did a survey with young people on, in YWAM, and they said, if you were to entrust God with the choice of who you were to marry, do you think God would ask you to marry someone you didn't like? 75% said yes. They thought that much of God's choice that he thought God wanted them to have a tough time, that God didn't want the best. They were happy to trust God with this year of their life as training in discipleship. When it came to choosing a partner, well, Lord, just, just 
I can sort this one out, thank you. You know, I'm good, I can get this one done. That's not, you, you really don't understand this sort of stuff. You know, we'll get, but, and, and we have this business that sometimes we have a fear, and there's so many fears that drive us. There's the fear when our sinful nature is at the center, that fear of not looking good. Do you know what it is? Um, I do desperately remember my first ever service after my ordination. And I stood there as a very, very new curate in front of a church of 450, thinking, right, here goes. And as I stood to announce the beginning of the service, one of my daughters, who bless her at that stage, was potty training, ran from the vestry, which is on the side there, with her knickers around her ankles and a dress up like this, going, I've done a wee! And I then had, about six weeks later, I had someone come to me and say, we're delighted you've come to our church. I'm thinking, yes, the wisdom and the spiritual maturity we bring. They're going, no, our kids aren't the worst behaved anymore now. <laughs> and you have to get over that fact. It's not about me, how we look. We have fear of so many things, fear of how others see us. We have fear of death. When my grandfather was growing up, one of his playmates was a Bishop Harrington, or Hannington, who eventually went out to... Um, uh, went out to Uganda and was martyred. And his mother was so, my grandfather's mother was so terrified that because, that somehow they might know that Pa had been his friend and that there would be these people would be coming over to try and get him. They were paranoid that he was going to die. She was worried about him ever going anywhere. And you think that fear just constricts. We have a fear of the unknown, those things that we step out into. Sometimes it's difficult, you know, when you change jobs, change vicars, change, whatever it is you're doing, the fear of the unknown, the fear of, well, things in, infecting us. You know, as Christians, sometimes we have a really weird fear of sin. We fear that it's going to get at us. And I was really struck when there's a guy called Floyd McClung, who many years ago used to write a lot of work on discovering God's heart. And he was really, really attacked because he felt God had called him and his wife to minister in Amsterdam in the red light district. And they took their little daughter, three or four years old, and to live right in the middle of the red light district in Amsterdam. And everyone said, how could you do that? It's going to be terrible. Oh, it's corrupting influence, and this, that, and the other. What they discovered was, was as their daughter went to school every day, she would wave at the ladies in the window, and they would wave back. And before long, these aunties of hers would come round to the house, and through that child, they discovered the love of God. You see, the light is more powerful than the darkness, but we fear the darkness and we do not trust the light. And then it's our feelings, that our sinful nature exacerbates our feelings. It's what I feel like, you know, oh, I just don't feel like it today. You know, the feelings that we have are as variable as the wind and the weather. And we allow our sinful nature control, we allow our fears to drive us, we allow our feelings to push us around. And those feelings, when they get take full force, can be so destructive, whether they be feelings of lust or greed or sloth or envy or jealousy, all those feelings, when they get given their run, are corrosive and damaging. And the last one I put down was fantasies, because you know what it is? We have these imaginary ideas of what we're like. The worst thing that ever happens uh, as far as your practice of preaching is concerned is when you're at college, they video you. And I, I tell you, that is, a, that is a distressing thing to watch. 
I don't look like that, do I? Do I really sound like that? Have I got that weird thing I do with my hands? You know, that thing, you, you don't believe you're like that, but suddenly you have to confront the reality. And we so often live in these fantasies of who we think we are or who we think we're not. And those unrealities that the flesh brings us into. And I've been fascinated that when we looked at the, I'm going to bring the referendum in again, the campaigning for the referendum, they played to fears and to feelings and to fantasies on both sides. Be afraid, because this is going to happen. Do what we say, because be afraid. Don't go with what the truth is. Go with how you feel. And here's a fantasy of what it's going to be like. It's either all going to be all glorious and rosy, or it's all going to be all terrible. They played on those things, and people were swayed one way and another, and so many people never stopped to listen and to notice. But you see, that's what the flesh does for us. When we live by the flesh, and we live in a world that's driven by the flesh, those are the things we end up with. And so the acts of the flesh are, what do I put, misplaced faith and trust. Because when we focus on the flesh, basically what we're saying is actually the center of everything is me. And so our faith and trust is misplaced because what we do is we trust people who tell us the things we want to hear. <laughs> we don't trust the people who maybe tell us the truths that we need to hear. And so we put our faith and our trust in the wrong things. Sometimes we listen to the adverts and we think that, yes, I can. You know, I can become beautiful and wonderful and attract lots of the opposite sex by using this aftershave or this antiperspirant or, or whatever else it is, these silly things that we get. And we put our trust in so many things that do not satisfy. And that puts us into wrong relationships. Because we're chasing the wrong things with the wrong thing at the center, our relationships go wrong. I was deeply distressed to be at the birthday party for a six, seven-year-old girl. I can't remember, which is my fault, but it was... Uh, and at that birthday party, the one person who was missing was her dad. Because he had a business deal to do in Africa. He was his own boss, he ran the company, he made the appointments, and to him, making that money on that deal in Africa was more important than being with his daughter for her birthday. Because his goal had become, what can I get? What can I achieve? What, how can I make my name? And somehow these things got pushed to the side. The wrong, um, when our misplaced, faith and trust is misplaced, our relationships go wrong, and we end up with a wrong attitude to other people. We look at people as either competition or as people to control, or people to do away with. We do the in and the out, we draw the lines. You're on my side, you're not. You're like me, you're not like me. We draw those boundaries and those lines, and suddenly we've got a wrong attitude to others. And from that, we then take what is good, and we twist it and abuse it. It's so much a hallmark of the work of the flesh, is to take one good thing that God created and make something horrible out of it. So the good things that God has given us to enjoy, like food, we take that and then we either see it as an enemy because we fear and then we have struggles with anorexia and things like that, or we take it as a thing that feeds the feelings that I need of that moment of comfort and we overdo it and then we struggle with that bit, I'm sucking in at the moment, just, just, just we can't see. Uh, and it becomes a vicious circle because as we continue to take those things, they then feed on our misplaced faith and trust and they break down our relationships and they change our attitudes to other. And we end up in this vicious cycle when flesh is at the center. We take God out of the picture and the spirit out of the picture. 
So we don't want that. How do we use our freedom then? The scripture says, rather than feed the flesh, we serve one another humbly in love. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like freedom to me. <laughs> you know, when you talk about, when you go and visit Attingham House and you see the wonders of the thing, does being a servant feel like freedom? Or does roaming the upstairs feel more like freedom? It's really strange that our understanding of having people serve us feels more like freedom than serving. But the scripture says that actually serving in love humbly is the attitude of the spirit that makes a difference. And it starts with that love that casts out fear. Because when we come to God and we recognize his love for us, we do not need to fear. Now, I don't know how to overstate, I can't overstate this enough, but the fear that drives and controls and holds us back, anyone who tries to get you to do something out of fear is not speaking from God. Because God draws us with cords of loving kindness towards himself. And he says, because I love you, because you are precious and honored in my sight, I want the very best for you. And when that love casts out fear, it means we're free not to worry about what other people think about us, not to worry about our status and our opinion, but actually to walk in the glorious liberty of the children of God. Because that gives us, our next one, our faith in who we are, where our identity comes from. My identity is that of a child of God. I was, um, here we go, name dropping time. I was with uh, the bishop on Thursday night, no, Wednesday night, having supper with the bishop. Actually, so all the other rural deans, it's part of the meeting we have. And he said, what was the one thing that he reflected on? He has had some extended study leave and been away. He said he suddenly realized that the most crucial thing of all is in the middle of all that's going on with the church and his job and family and everything else like that, remembering that he's a child of God. Remembering that my identity as a child of God means I'm okay. I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to show off about. I've got nothing to be boastful of because I've been given this position of children of God, as a child of God. That's my place of faith. I've got faith in who I am, and I learn to live in the reality of this kingdom, that actually what we're about is bigger than the things that you see around you. It's bigger than just about the achievements you can have. It's about the career you can have, the, all the different things you can have. It's about something so, so, so much bigger that the kingdom calls us to. We're turned to turn away from the fantasy of this world and learn to live in the kingdom reality. And so it is that life in the spirit starts very simply with what does the spirit do in us? What's the spirit's job? And what does the Spirit lead us in, direct us to? The Spirit is there to point us to Jesus. So the Spirit comes to us to reveal Jesus to us, to reveal what it means to be the Son of God, to have that, what it means for God to come and live with us, what it means for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness. And what does Jesus do? Reveals the Father. So when the Spirit leads us to Jesus, Jesus points us to the Father, and you know what the Father's job is. What does the Father do for us? He shows us who we are, reminds us that we're his children. He's the one who defines us. We are children 
of the living God. And so we have a virtuous circle. Because as we're reminded that we're children of God, we say, God, as your children, we thank you that we're loved and precious and special. We thank you that what you've done, Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, show me Jesus. In this situation, show me what Jesus would have me do. Let me see this from a Jesus perspective. And when we come to Jesus, Jesus says, this is what my Father wants to do. This is the kingdom of God. Will you walk with me as we take hold of the kingdom of God? And we don't want to live in that vicious cycle of the flesh, but in the virtuous circle of the work of God. And so to live by the Spirit is to deepen relationship. And as we deepen our relationship with God, we have that security in ourselves that helps us to have, I think there's one um, famous divine has said, the undefended heart. You know the moment when we get all defensive, when someone says something about us, and we go, ooh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not like that. It's so difficult because we are so ingrained with this business of trying to defend who we are. But actually what I found out is actually when people say, oh, you've done this, 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 and this wrong, I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm really sorry. And I ask you to pray that God will help me deal with that. Because I know I need to change. And that's just part of the way I am. So when we have that deepening of relationships with other people, when we haven't got to feel the need to score points over one another, that strengthens our faith. Because we're beginning to trust God more. Less about trusting in the me and the who I am and what I am, but we're actually trusting that God knows and understands and loves us. It's really funny, I was, I was talking to my mum last night, it's, it was her birthday and I took her out for a meal last night, and we were just talking about this fact of the glorious understanding of being children of God. And she was brought up in a very strict church where the appearance was everything. It had to look right, everything had to just work just right. And, I've, and he said, and we've learned that actually God loves us as us. And actually it's not about putting on a front, it's not about putting on an appearance, it's not about getting it all to look right, it's actually saying, well, here we are as the people of God. God walk with us as we go. And that strengthens our faith, and as our faith is strengthened, our character is purified. Because we become less confrontative, we become less defensive, we become less judgmental, and we're actually able to allow godly character to build in us that perseverance that, Lord, I don't expect God to make everything happen just the way I want it. Lord, I'm not going to be saying, I'm not going to, my faith is not going to be rocked when there isn't a parking space when I'm going to the shops. My faith is not going to be rocked if someone doesn't let me out in traffic. My faith is not going to be rocked if the sun doesn't shine when I want to have a picnic. Because that's not the kind of relationship we have. And as we purify our character, we increase our wisdom. Our wisdom and our understanding grows so that we see things from God's perspective. So as we walk in the Spirit, we see things and understand things God's way. And that gives us courage to act boldly and courageously in line with what God wants us to do. To act the way that God calls us to do. Because I was just... One of my favourite authors at the moment is a guy called Dallas Willard. And this next quote is, I think, a really key one for us. It says, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, but who you become, because that's what you take into eternity. Remember, every one of us was created for eternity, not just this life. That what we do 
is about our reputation and about our life in this life. Who we become, who we are, the kind of person and character we have is about what happens for eternity. You're an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's universe. Your life is not about saying, well, I've got to get to this point. You know, I want to hit these targets before I die. Someone said to me, you know, God's given me eternal life. When does middle age start? I've got a couple of billion years to go yet. So I'm still young enough in Christ to actually carry on walking as a child of God. But the next thing I thought was really lovely is this business saying, well, what are we looking forward to? Because all of us are on a different stage. And this, this, I think he said, is lovely. He said this, your eternal destiny is not cosmic retirement. Let's get that one right. It is to be part of a tremendously creative project under unimaginably splendid leadership of an inconceivably vast scale with ever-increasing cycles of, of fruitfulness and enjoyment. This is the prophetic vision which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. That's what we're called to. That's the glory of the kingdom of God. And we see things in those perspectives. It changes our mind. And I was just um, reflecting with the, uh, the, the nine o'clocks that um, we had a lovely couple who joined our church when we lived down in East Anglia many years ago. And they'd been missionaries out in Africa, in India for years. And Dorothy, uh, Eric and Jane joined our church. And they were getting on. And one Sunday morning, we lost Eric. But it was in this most incredible way. And it still moves me today because we were standing and we were singing the praises of God. And he carried on singing, but for the rest of us, we watched him collapse and die on the spot. Now, that's a strange thing to happen. It does slightly upset your order of service for the morning. But for those of us who are looking, you are saying, almost, I'm just so jealous. <laughs> that's so awesome, such an awesome way to go. But the way of looking at what we do is saying, this don't, not to fear that, but then we look at things from a different way. And I was in hospital visiting a dear lady from our church. And she's one of these wonderful saints who's been a faithful, um, faithful follower of Jesus all her life through really difficult times. And we were having to talk to her about the fact she was going to need carers come into our home. And she's one of these people who's fiercely independent, hates anyone doing anything for her. You know the people, the people who are always in to do the washing up and don't want anyone to help them. They're that sort of person. And we were talking with a sister, was saying... Now then, you're going to have to get used to the fact you need someone to come and care for you. And she's sitting there, and her hackles are rising, going, don't like that, don't bother you, I don't know. And I had to sort of, when the sister had gone away, I, said, I had to say to her, listen, remember, it's not your independence that's the most important thing, but remember we're serving the kingdom. I said, can you look at it a different way? Just think, every day, someone's going to come into your house who needs to know the love of God. And as they think they're coming to help you, you have a kingdom perspective in mind. Because God has put you there not to be competent and independent and perfect, but to be a, someone who shines God's love. And we need to be reminded of that constantly, again and again and again, because we get sucked into the way of the world of wanting things to go the way that suits us and not seeing God's perspective. I'm, just, I'm going to end with two little stories, just to tell you. 
Many years ago, I was, had the joy of being part of a worship team who was leading worship for a massive conference. We had 5,000 people there. It's one of those moments, you're just glorious, you're there, it's like spring harvest, and you're, you're leading worship. And I had that moment when, you know, you're there and you're leading worship, and we even had a friend of mine who used to have uh, different colored guitar straps to coordinate with the sort of shirt he was wearing at the time. It was that sort of thing. And, and, it, and it's really impressive being up there on stage. And I looked down, and, and to my horror, there was this dear lady at the front was trying to do expressive dance. But one, she wasn't built for it. <laughs> the second, she, she wasn't dressed for it either. It was twin set and pearls and white trainers. And it was just like, oh, my Lord. And I'm going, oh, Lord. <laughs> it's just embarrassing, Lord. And I'm just thinking, Lord, just couldn't she do it somewhere less conspicuous? Because it's kind of worrying. And I just felt the Lord, have, you know, you have these little nudges, and I felt the Lord say, um, do you want me to tell you a story? I'm going, yeah, 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 go on then, whatever. Um, and the Lord says, do you know what? When she was a child, she always wanted to dance, but her parents wouldn't let her. And the Lord said, I do. That's about how big I felt at that point. So that's, that's the way that goes. But that's that business of saying, Lord, can I see things your way? Live by the Spirit so we recognize and understand the goodness of God. And more recently, I was driving out the end of my road, and as you know, as you drive up towards the Catholic Church, there's a little mini roundabout, and I was driving around the roundabout one morning when I met, coming the opposite direction, the wrong way around the roundabout, a dear young lass on her bicycle who was texting and cycling the wrong way around the roundabout. Now, I'm not very tolerant of bad drivers, and I sort of slammed the brakes on. She carried blissfully on without that. And I was, I was almost saying some very rude things to God <laughs> about cyclists. And again, the little voice said, wasn't it good that she met you? Because if she hadn't, she might not have been safe. I can't even get angry properly any time. <laughs> but that's that business of, of, of saying living by the Spirit is to live this generous, gracious, serving life. We've been given everything. We've been made heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We've been given the riches of his kingdom. And we have a world that so desperately needs us to bring the kingdom life in to reconcile, to restore, to honor and to recognize the people who the world treats as rubbish. Let's walk in step with the Spirit. So we live in that virtuous cycle of deepening relationships, of undefended hearts, of people who will have the courage to do what is right because that's what God wants us to do, not because what others expect us to do. And let us remember, I have got one last thing, it is pure grace. Whenever we get on our high horse about, I own, I'm, I'm owed this, I deserve this, I ought to have this, God reminds us, all that you have is a gift of my grace. It's because I love you that I give this. Now will you be like me? Don't weigh up what people deserve, but pass on the grace that you've received. And that'll do. There you go.